Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this topic matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello, everyone. Happy holidays and welcome back to another episode of the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Dr. Casey Grover here once again as your host. Before we start, I have a potentially laughable update to share. I've been podcasting now for close to two years, and I have somewhere between 150 and 200 regular listeners. I am, of course, biased, but I think that this podcast is really useful and helpful. I try to pick a clinical question that needs a good evidence-based answer, and during the course of an episode, I answer that question while putting together some take-home points. My listenership has remained pretty constant over the last year or so, while at that same time, thousands of Americans have continued to die from untreated substance use. For international listeners, I don't know the statistics as well, but it seems like overall, substance use is getting worse across the planet. So, I was asking myself, why don't more healthcare providers want to learn about addiction? We clearly need to start addressing it. The answer, regrettably, is most likely to be stigma. But it might just be that people have a hard time finding this podcast or other education about addiction. So, I wanted to try to promote the podcast on social media to see if trying to use social media would make a difference. I created a Twitter account for the podcast. The handle is at AddictionEMAC if you're on Twitter. Now, given all of the upheaval at Twitter recently, it's probably not the best time to start an account, but oh well. So here goes with an experiment to see if social media makes any difference. If you have any ideas on how to get more healthcare providers tuning into the podcast and interested in providing better care for patients with addiction, contact me on Twitter or email me at addictionemac at fastmail.com. Okay, back to business. Today's episode will be on using microdosing, specifically the microdosing of buprenorphine to induce patients with opiate use disorder on buprenorphine. This might not be a term or a concept that you are familiar with, so let's dig into our first paper to give us some background. Our first paper is entitled, Microinduction of Buprenorphine Slash Naloxone, a Review of the Literature. It was published in 2020 in the journal, The American Journal on Addictions. The lead author was Saeed Ahmed. We'll start with the customary introduction section. The authors here remind us that opiate use disorder is a huge problem in the United States and that buprenorphine is an effective treatment. However, they also highlight the major limitation of buprenorphine, namely that patients have to be in mild to moderate withdrawal before starting buprenorphine 
otherwise buprenorphine can precipitate withdrawal. The authors move on to discuss buprenorphine pharmacology and they remind us that buprenorphine precipitated withdrawal occurs when buprenorphine displaces pre-existing opioids from their receptors through competitive inhibition. And this, again, is why patients must be in mild to moderate withdrawal before they can start bup. The authors also note that the risk, as we've discussed on previous episodes, of precipitated withdrawal is increased when patients are using fentanyl. So, researchers tried to come up with other ways to start buprenorphine that didn't cause precipitated withdrawal or didn't involve having to go into withdrawal before starting. And that brings us to what the authors call microinduction, which is often also referred to as microdosing. So, the authors take a brief break here to discuss the methodology of their paper, which is a literature review using multiple search terms for microdosing. There were 18 papers on the topic, and the authors actually have a table that summarizes all 18 papers. Let's move on to review the high points that the authors make about this literature. The authors note that microdosing or microinduction is often referred to as the Bernese method. They report two cases that were published in 2016 in which patients using heroin were started on 0.2 milligrams of buprenorphine daily and the dose was very slowly titrated up with small increases each day. The patients continued to use heroin as they did this. When patients reached an appropriate dose of buprenorphine, which was 12 milligrams daily in case one and 24 milligrams daily in case two, the heroin was stopped and the patients did not experience any withdrawal. Case one involved tapering up over nine days, while in case two, the patient was tapered up over 29 days. The authors move on to a similar case that was published in 2019 that also referred to this approach as the Bernese method. And in this case, they were able to use microdosing to treat a patient on methadone at 200 milligrams daily. They started at buprenorphine 0.5 milligrams daily and very slowly tapered up on the buprenorphine over four months. They also tapered down the methadone over this same time period. The authors furthermore note that there have been multiple successful transitions for patients on full opioid agonists to buprenorphine using this microdosing approach. And again, microdosing involves starting the patient on a low dose of buprenorphine while the patient is still using full agonist opioids, slowly titrating up the buprenorphine, and then stopping or tapering down the full agonist opioids. Some of these cases were fast, titrating up over seven days or less. The authors discuss a little bit about each of the papers, highlighting the slight variations in the cases reported, but overall, the authors note that there have been a lot of successful buprenorphine inductions using this microdosing approach. And many of these patients reported had zero opiate withdrawal using this method. In some cases, transdermal buprenorphine was used, but most of the cases involved small and incrementally increasing doses of sublingual bup. 
The authors of this first paper end their narrative review of the literature they found with a summary. And I will highlight the key points here. There have been 18 papers on microinduction, also known as microdosing, to induce patients on buprenorphine. There have been 63 successful cases of using this technique in these papers. Patients who were successfully treated were using a wide variety of full agonist opioids before treatment, including methadone, hydromorphone, oxycodone, and heroin. Some patients were treated with transdermal buprenorphine as a part of their microdosing regimen. Most patients had zero opiate withdrawal or very mild opiate withdrawal. The most common initial doses of buprenorphine when given sublingually were 0.2 milligrams or 0.5 milligrams. Tapers up on buprenorphine ranged from 3 days to 112 days, with most patients needing 4 to 8 days. And finally, most patients were able to stop using full agonist opioids and transition to using buprenorphine only at doses of 8 milligrams to 16 milligrams of sublingual buprenorphine daily. Okay, that was a lot of information. Bottom line, we don't have huge studies on this method, but we do have some data that microdosing buprenorphine is effective as an induction strategy. The authors move on to the discussion, and they open with a great definition and description of the method. Quote, Microdosing or microinduction is a method of using small incremental doses of buprenorphine during initiation of treatment without waiting for the traditional prerequisite emergence of opioid withdrawal symptoms. With repeated small doses of buprenorphine, there is a slow buildup of buprenorphine at the opioid receptors without precipitating withdrawal, end quote. The authors add that there is no right answer or consensus on how to use the method and that several different approaches may work. The key principle is small incremental doses of buprenorphine. The authors also note that this method may be uniquely useful for patients using methadone or illicit fentanyl as these patients are uniquely at risk for precipitated withdrawal. And it turns out most of these studies involved patients in the inpatient setting, so the authors note that more research is needed to see if this can be done routinely in the outpatient setting. And that is the end of this first paper. Bottom line, microdosing as a method seems to work and is a viable option for buprenorphine induction. Okay, let's look at our second paper for this episode, which is published in the Canadian Journal of Addiction in 2019 with Sumantra Monty Ghosh as the lead author. The title is A Review of Novel Methods to Support the Transition from Methadone and Other Full Agonist Opioids to Buprenorphine-Naloxone Sublingual in Both Community and Acute Care Settings. The authors begin with a background on buprenorphine and methadone, which in the interest of time we'll skip over. And in terms of the methods, this paper is also a literature review. The authors move on to discuss what they call key principles and a pharmacology review. I wanted to stop and review this as it describes more of the why behind how this method of microinduction or microdosing works. They start by describing precipitated withdrawal caused by buprenorphine. 
As we know from previous episodes, buprenorphine displaces full agonist opioids from the opioid receptors, but only provides partial agonism at those opioid receptors. So, patients who take buprenorphine when they have a full opioid agonist in their system get a significant net decrease in the amount of opioid agonism once the buprenorphine kicks in, leading to withdrawal. In contrast, when using the microdosing approach, patients take only a small amount of buprenorphine when they have full agonist opioids in their system, so they only get a small net decrease in the amount of opioid agonism once the buprenorphine kicks in. As such, these patients do not feel withdrawal. As the buprenorphine dose is slowly titrated up, each sequential increase in buprenorphine only causes a small decrease in the amount of opioid agonism. And again, the patient does not feel significant withdrawal. Eventually, the buprenorphine dose is high enough that bup occupies all of the opioid receptors and the patient no longer has any effect from full agonist opioids. And the authors actually have a really nice graphic in this paper that explains this concept on page three of the article. Now let's take an aside. I wanted to think, how can I make this make sense in my mind? And this is what I came up with. Giving a full dose of buprenorphine when someone has opioids in their system results in a large decrease in opioid agonism, which is felt as significant withdrawal. With microdosing, small amounts of buprenorphine are given when people have opioids in their system, and because the buprenorphine doses are small, there is only a small decrease in opioid agonism, which is too small to cause significant withdrawal. As the dose of buprenorphine is slowly titrated up, the decrease in opioid agonism occurs slowly as well, so patients do not feel significant withdrawal. Okay, back to the article. The authors move on to discuss what they found in their literature review. And it's important to know that these methods that we are about to discuss involve taking people off of full agonist opioids and getting them on to buprenorphine. And these methods include people who are using methadone. The authors have one section in the article called Microinduction and Bernese Method, and we will stop here to review that section. They begin by discussing the concept of bridging. Bridging, the authors note, is the very slow introduction of buprenorphine onto opioid receptors in patients using full agonist opioids. Basically, the patient starts on a full agonist opioid and buprenorphine is introduced at a low dose. As the full agonist opioids are metabolized, buprenorphine occupies the free opioid receptors. Because buprenorphine has a high opioid receptor affinity, when full agonist opioids are used again, buprenorphine stays on those free receptors. As buprenorphine is slowly titrated up, it slowly occupies more and more opioid receptors until finally all receptors are bound by buprenorphine. This concept of bridging is the reason why microdosing works. The authors note that there are multiple protocols that outline how to do microdosing and they all rely on the concept of bridging to work. The authors move on to the Bernese method, which is one approach to microdosing. 
According to the authors, the Bernese method involves titrating up buprenorphine while titrating down the full agonist opioid. This method involves using 2 milligram buprenorphine tablets and dividing them into eighths or quarters and slowly titrating up the dose of buprenorphine using these very small doses. Once buprenorphine is at a therapeutic level, the full agonist opioid is then stopped. One concern about this method is that it's hard to cut the pills into such small pieces. The authors move on to discuss the buprenorphine transdermal patch method for microdosing. The reason that the patch can be used is that it provides continuous delivery of small doses of buprenorphine. The article actually provides several transdermal microinduction protocols, which you can check out if you are interested. Finally, on the topic of microdosing, the authors describe a rapid microdosing induction protocol. This rapid microinduction involves the administration of buprenorphine every few hours. They have a sample protocol in the article that involves giving small doses of buprenorphine, one milligram or less sublingual, every hour for eight hours to rapidly titrate up the dose. Obviously, given the rapidity of this method, the risk of precipitated withdrawal is going to be higher as compared to other methods. The authors conclude this paper by comparing each of the different methods discussed, including whether the method can be done inpatient or outpatient, the ease of doing it, and the risk of precipitated withdrawal. There's actually a great table at the end of the article that compares all of the methods if you want to check it out. And that's the end of this second paper. So now we know that there are lots of different approaches to microdosing and we understand how it works. Now we just need information about what is the best way to do microdosing and how well it compares to standard buprenorphine induction. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a randomized controlled trial that compares microdosing to standard induction? The good news is that there is just such a study. The bad news is that it's not done yet. However, if you want to check out the methods, the study protocol was published in the journal Addiction, Science, and Clinical Practice in 2021, and the paper is titled Comparing Rapid Microinduction and Standard Induction of Buprenorphine-Naloxone for the Treatment of Opioid Use Disorder, Protocol for an Open-Label Parallel Group Superiority Randomized Controlled Trial, and the lead author is James Wong. Now, obviously, we don't have the data back on this, but they have a unique protocol that they are using for microinduction. And as a brief aside, this episode has been really hard to put together as everyone seems to be doing microdosing differently. Anyways, back to the article. Here is their protocol. They call it rapid microinduction. They give buprenorphine every three to four hours while the patient is still using full agonist opioids and they titrate up the dose of buprenorphine over five days. They actually have their protocol written down in table one of the published study protocol. Okay, let's check in and see where we are on this topic in this episode. We know microdosing works to induce people on buprenorphine and they may not experience withdrawal during the induction. And we know there are a huge number of different ways to do microdosing. So where do we go from here? 
Well, I next went to the California Bridge website. As a reminder, the California Bridge program started in California as an advocacy group trying to improve addiction care in California emergency departments. And they've spread to a huge organization with national and international influence that is trying to make addiction treatment more available for all patients. Fortunately, they have a guideline for microdosing, which you can find on their website at cabridge.org. The guideline is called Starting Buprenorphine with Microdosing and Cross-Tapering. They start with when microdosing could be used. When the patient has been on methadone, the patient has had difficulty starting bup in the past, the patient is transitioning from full agonist opioids for pain to buprenorphine, and the patient has been using illicit fentanyl. They move on to discuss when microdosing should not be used. The patient doesn't want to continue using full agonist opioids during transition. The patient is already in significant opioid withdrawal. The patient wants a rapid start. The patient has poor health literacy or medication adherence. And the patient is unable to self-administer doses of medication. The California Bridge Guideline gives four examples of microdosing protocols, one of which we will review. The four protocols are a three-day sublingual microdosing start, a seven-day sublingual microdosing start, a one-day transdermal microdosing start, and a seven-day transdermal microdosing start. As the risk of precipitated withdrawal is increased with shorter protocols, and sublingual buprenorphine is the formulation most people are the most familiar with, we will go through the seven-day sublingual protocol. Feel free to check out the California Bridge website to review the other protocols if you're interested. So, let's go through the seven-day sublingual microdosing protocol. On day one, the patient takes 0.5 milligrams of sublingual bup once and continues their full agonist opioids. On day two, the patient takes 0.5 milligrams of sublingual bup twice daily and continues their full agonist opioids. On day three, the patient takes one milligram of sublingual bup twice daily and continues their full agonist opioids. On day four, the patient takes two milligrams of sublingual bup twice daily and continues their full agonist opioids. On day five, the patient takes three milligrams of sublingual bup twice daily and continues their full agonist opioids. On day six, the patient takes four milligrams of sublingual bup twice daily and continues their full agonist opioids. On day seven, the patient takes six milligrams of sublingual bup twice daily and continues their full agonist opioids. And on day eight, the patient takes eight milligrams of sublingual buprenorphine twice daily with four milligrams of sublingual buprenorphine as needed for withdrawal, up to a max of 32 milligrams daily, and then the patient stops or weans full agonist opioids after that. And then the patient continues their final dose of buprenorphine, somewhere between 16 to 32 milligrams daily. And that was the end of the California Bridge Guidelines. Now, before we wrap up, one of my colleagues, Dr. Reb Close, who, like me, does emergency medicine and addiction medicine, has successfully treated a few patients who were using illicit fentanyl with microdosing, and she wanted to share her experience. She has treated multiple patients and used a different protocol for each. 
She discussed different microdosing protocols with each patient, and she and the patient together made a decision as to what they thought was going to work best based on the patient's previous experience with bup, fear of withdrawal, and the amount of fentanyl being used. In one case, two patients who were related and who were both using fentanyl wanted to get on buprenorphine together. They actually wanted to do a rapid microinduction together. One patient was much more afraid of precipitated withdrawal than the other. They both continued to use fentanyl until the day that they had agreed that they would start buprenorphine. On their start day, they dosed themselves with small amounts of buprenorphine every few hours. The patient who was more afraid of precipitated withdrawal started at 0.5 milligrams, while the other started at 2 milligrams. Over a 24-hour period, both patients slowly titrated up their dose of buprenorphine to where they felt comfortable and did not feel significant withdrawal. One patient dosed herself frequently with small aliquots of 0.5 milligrams of sublingual bup up to 24 milligrams, while the other patient dosed herself less frequently with small aliquots of 2 milligrams of sublingual bup up to 16 milligrams and both patients are continuing in treatment at those final doses. In another case, Dr. Close treated a patient who wanted to microdose much more slowly. The patient who was using illicit fentanyl was treated with the seven-day sublingual buprenorphine microdosing protocol from the California Bridge that we reviewed earlier in the episode. The patient was able to complete this protocol successfully with no significant withdrawal. He continued to use fentanyl until the eighth day of the protocol. The patient unfortunately relapsed after his successful microinduction and returned to illicit fentanyl. Dr. Close started him back on the seven-day sublingual buprenorphine microdosing protocol, which he was able to complete a second time. The patient and his family member were given a copy of the seven-day microdosing protocol so that they knew how much bup to take each day. The patient was given 2-0.5 and 8-2 buprenorphine naloxone strips, and he and his family member cut the strips together so that they were sure he was getting the right dose at the right time. Okay, that was quite a bit of information. Let's wrap up this episode with some take-home points. Number one. Microdosing is a method of buprenorphine induction that involves starting small incremental doses of buprenorphine in patients using full agonist opioids. You don't have to wait for the patient to be in withdrawal to start, and patients continue their full agonist opioids or slowly titrate down their full agonist opioids while they increase the dose of buprenorphine. When the buprenorphine dose gets up to a high enough level that full agonist opioids have little effect, such as 16 milligrams sublingual or more, then full agonist opioids can be weaned or stopped. Number two, microdosing works because of the phenomenon of bridging. Bridging is the very slow introduction of buprenorphine onto opioid receptors in patients using full agonist opioids. As full agonist opioids wear off, buprenorphine binds to free opioid receptors. With a slow up titration of buprenorphine, there is a slow transition to a state where all of the opioid receptors are bound by buprenorphine. 
Number three, there is not a lot of scientific literature on microdosing, and there is no consensus on the best protocol for microdosing. Number four, talk with your patients if they are interested in microdosing about various protocols to see what they are most comfortable with. If patients are worried about precipitated withdrawal, use a longer protocol. If patients want to quit sooner, use a shorter protocol. Number five, given the high risk of precipitated withdrawal in patients using illicit fentanyl, microdosing buprenorphine could be a great option for buprenorphine inductions in patients using illicit fentanyl. Number six, for microdosing to work, patients must be able to follow a protocol and must be able to cut tablets or strips into pieces. And number seven, if you want to review some specific protocols, you can review the California Bridge Guidelines or any of the three papers that we reviewed in this episode. There are a lot of options. And that is all we have for this episode. If you have any feedback for me on this episode or microdosing, drop me a line at addictionemac at fastmail.com. Thank you for listening and thank you for what you do. And don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.